Hi all, it's James. I am super sorry <laughs> uh, for the delay. It's like, James, what's up, man? It's been two months, three months. What's going on? And you're right. Uh, been busy with uh, a short film project called Amon Allen. That's in the last stages of post. Uh, started a new day job. And, you know, those are good excuses, but they're excuses. And I have to understand that... Hey, you know, uh, as I I'm overloading myself. So one thing I want to mention in this uh, opening remarks is that if you are an editor, sound editor with uh, experience in podcasts, shoot us an email. Uh, we're at yinyoungpodcast at gmail com. That's spelled Y I N Y O U N G podcast at gmail com. Um, so you can help us with the back end and we can get these podcasts out on a regular basis and you know we are independently and self-funded so don't expect big bucks but we will compensate you um, so that's the second thing I want to say and the third thing is Jeff Mann uh, he is our guest for this episode he is a filmmaker I met through mutual friends uh, we talked we mentioned a little bit about that and we really get into it about uh, you know, Asian male masculinity, filmmaking, dealing with loneliness, and why everyone might may want to consider getting a therapist. <laughs> um, anyways, without further ado, the long-awaited uh, Yin and Yang podcast episode forty-one. And welcome back to Yin and Young, the podcast. Uh, I'm here with a uh, filmmaker, uh, Jeff Mann. Woo! Woo. <laughs> and this is, uh, Thank you. and uh, as I was just saying to Dan, uh, this is the 41st episode. 41. Yay. Right, we actually have the episode number now. Jeff, you want to say hi so the viewers can hear your voice or the listeners, I guess, yeah. Hello. That's, uh, that's Jeff. <laughs> very nice. Yeah, and then uh, the guy who just said very nice was Dan, and this is me, James. Um, cool. Fairly, like, free-form podcast. I mean, and then okay. if there's anything you want edited out or if there's nothing, anything that you feel, you, you know, don't ever feel like you have to feel pressure to share anything that might, you know, endanger you, whatever. Uh, so just, uh, yeah, I think... For the most part, what I'm curious, I think what we started was, we started about do, talking about doing a podcast because of that Invisibilia episode, right? Yeah. I think we had, it started with a conversation at a bar. Yeah, we... yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, we had a conversation at a bar. I had a conversation at a bar with Jeff and uh, some mutual friends, and uh, we were talking about dating. And then, um, so we were talking about, you know, um, I guess interracial dating and uh it was it was kind of a uh, happenstance because dan you sent me a message saying hey james you should check out this episode called a very offensive rom-com right or yeah this npr invisibility and i was like oh okay i'll check it out and then it kind of touched i'm trying to remember the order actually like uh yeah i think it was after i met uh, i talked to jeff about a similar subject 
then you sent me that I'm like oh I think Jeff might uh, appreciate or like might be interested in this so I sent it to him he's like oh yeah we should talk about it and kind of snowball into this um, so I think my plan or that for today was um, I was thinking of basically covering some of Jeff's past work um, which actually does touch a little bit about um, dating and loneliness and also from there maybe segue into like talking about dating or the, the episode in particular and like kind of branching off from there how's that sound sounds good yeah Dan any thoughts uh yeah well we can probably talk about that one um, message we received about that someone took offense to oh that's kind of related to this did you did you actually read that uh you you saw it no i you you sent i I sent you the yeah let me let me pull it the gist of it did you guys get like a bad comment about a podcast um yes yeah (laughs) we can cover that after we we cover your your background but uh, oh it's gonna come up it's it's definitely gonna come up because it's kind of related to the invisibility of podcasts as well okay Right, yeah. I I am glad that there is one married person I didn't three single guys talking <laughs> on the subject is <laughs> Well, go. I'm a voracious con, uh consumer of podcasts. <laughs> I, I watch I listen to everything in two X. Oh, okay. Oh wow. So, oh whoa. Yeah. Wait, so if you're I like can... uh you're like oh wow, you're like AI then. You're like just downloading the stuff real quick, yeah. I mean you get you get like you miss some details here and then, and then I'll like you know go back. But sure, I mean, for the most part, you'll get almost everything you need from that podcast in two X, yeah. at least for me. Um, and it's something that my friend turned me on to, and then uh, I I consume a lot of stuff in two X. Hmm. And you enjoy it that way. I do, and and it's gotten to the point where there are certain people I can't listen in two X. And some people I can listen in 2x. Some people who are much uh, better in 2x than they are in, in 1x. Now it, now it sounds like they're stoned if I listen to real time. Oh, interesting. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. Yeah. I think you just blew my mind because I listen to everything in 1x, but I might, I might change that because I can get two times the information now. There's so much content out there. there. There's no way that I can get through everything in 1x with two kids and a job. <laughs> okay, uh, I think... Uh, thank you, Dan. I think <laughs> you've kind of turned me on to this whole another way of consuming content. I, um, I'm going to, I'm going to experiment with this. I, I, I personally like the experience of, you know, enjoying things, but like if it's information, like a nonfiction book or something, I think 2X might be, I noticed this at work. I, I just started a, a, a job recently and I have to get through certain content and make marks and stuff like that through in the content. And I realized like, Dude, I just gotta do two x or three x because this is. Uh, there's no way I can finish all these tasks in time, you know. So maybe I can apply that to my life. Maybe, yeah. Cool. All right. Um, let's. Sorry uh, for that deviation. No, no. I like. I, it's a good tangent. <laughs> we'll we'll call that the uh, the two x corner or the two x segment. <laughs> uh, how to consume content or Dan maybe like Dan's Dan's tips of the day, or maybe Dan's <laughs> Dan's dad tips. I guess because like. No, Dan's anomaly. Dan, <laughs> Um, so, uh, I guess you guys were talking a little bit about this beforehand. Um, so Jeff, you were from the DC area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So you grew up there or? Yeah, I grew up in, uh, Maryland right outside of, that's like 20 minutes outside of DC. Yeah. Cool. Um, and you were born in that area too? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty Gaithersburg, much. Maryland. Nice. Yeah. And, um, 
how what, what was kind of like uh, your experience growing up in that neighborhood? Was it um, eth- uh, demographic wise? Was it uh, pretty diverse or mostly white or? Um, yeah, it was pretty diverse. Okay. Um, uh, I think when I was like really young, it was mostly you know, like African American and white, uh, with some fair amount of Asians like sprinkled in. Oh, Asians sprinkled. Okay. Um, and then I think as as I started to get into middle school and high school, more and more like Hispanics started to like move into the area. Mm. Uh, I remember. Like when I was 16, I got a job at Chuck E. Cheese, and oh, really? most of my coworkers were like Hispanic kids. Huh. So, and as far as your like your your friends growing up, what kind of uh, kind of group would you say? Or were they like the skaters? Were they like uh, were they the, the smart kids? <laughs> like, yeah, just trying to get um, a picture of like your yeah. I I don't know about you guys, but I like bounced around a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah, I think like. In middle school, I hung out with, like, the heavy metal kids, uh-huh. which my parents and my grandmother didn't very like that much. <laughs> were they white or uh, heavy metal? Yes, they were all white. Yeah, I'm assuming. We, uh... Yeah, we would. I mean, they, they introduced me to, like, Nirvana and Pearl Jam. <laughs> and after school, like, we would go to the tennis court and like play hockey on the tennis court blasting like rage against the machine oh my like, gosh. the boom box so that was me and mills that was i was like going through like a rebellious phase during that time uh-huh, uh-huh. um and then in high school i kind of stopped hanging out with them because they got me in trouble a lot and i picked uh-huh. up a lot of bad habits from them mm. um so in middle school i started hanging out with like a couple of like skater kids and then stopped hanging out with them around like junior year mm. and started hanging out with like like a couple like neighborhood kids but i think later um in high school i uh i i hung out with like a group of kids who are like my good friends today and like we there's like one taiwanese kid one portuguese kid uh one iranian and a couple white guys so it's like a mixed bag of like people from the area cool um growing up i mean uh was it would you say you had a pretty happy childhood or i you have a one sister i guess yeah how'd you know that i did my research (laughs) uh yeah i got one sister i mean yeah it was it's pretty normal happy childhood i guess i mean three generation family i guess or three generation household um i me and my sister were we were kind of raised by my grandparents. Um, my my mom and dad worked like pretty much morning to night growing up. Oh, and... so you're kind of latchkey kid, I guess. Well, no, you had your grandparents, I guess, right? Yeah. Yeah, my grandparents. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I basically grew up spending most of my time with with my grandma and my grandfather, mm. um, and then I would see my my dad at night, um, and then I think around age twelve. Um, I had to start working at the family restaurant. Oh, okay. Oh, yes. I know it well. <laughs> oh, Did wait. You... So, yeah, we should make this clear. Jeff is Asian-American. Oh, uh, yeah. Chinese. Chinese-American. And he is uh, Cantonese, right? Uh, I mean, you're from, your family's from... Um, yeah, my yeah. my parents grew up in Hong Kong. I guess uh, both my mom and dad, they're 
their ancestry or my grandparents like are from uh Shandong province. Oh. oh. But I think like during whatever like the cultural revolution they they made their way to Hong Kong and that's where they you know set up shop and had families and stuff like that. Mm, cuz yeah, Dan, he he knows that that family restaurant uh life. <laughs> Did you work at your family restaurant too? Uh, yeah, I peeled shrimp when I was five. <laughs> that, was like, that, was, that was a hateful experience. Because uh, your family's Cantonese, or they speak Cantonese as well, right? Yeah. My family? Yeah. Yeah, they speak Cantonese, but we're we're actually from the Yangchow province. Right. Okay. Okay. Yangzhou. Yangzhou. Um, so, so, what what dialect does your family speak at home then? Your grandparents? Sandong. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of weird because my my grand my parents speak Cantonese and my grandparents spoke Mandarin, San and Sandongese or whatever. Oh wow! Yeah, but everybody communicated fine. Oh, okay. Yeah, we could. Everybody, you know. So, what would you say your first language was? I guess. Oh yeah, I, I probably learned Cantonese first. Actually, okay. that's that's interesting because. Uh, like, I remember when I went to kindergarten, mm. like, I was born in the United States, I'm American-born, and I remember going to kindergarten, and they put me in ESOL, which is, like, English for students <laughs> of other languages, oh. and I remember sitting there, like, thinking, as, like, a five-year-old, like, what the fuck am I doing here? Like, this is, <laughs> this is it. <laughs> so. Like, were you... Do you think you deserve to be like? Was your English level poor at that time, or? Uh, I don't know if I had a good grasp of what my English level was like. I I definitely felt I had good English skills, but uh, the teachers thought otherwise. I guess. Ah, uh, okay. That's interesting. That's similar experience to me. Yeah, I, I I in preschool they caught me a little bit early, but in preschool I did not know what the hell anyone was saying. So my parents were like, "Okay, we're gonna speak English at home." Yeah. Which they say now is actually not really that good because then the kid will just lose that language completely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so did you retain your language? Uh, your, your, the, the Mandarin, the Cantonese, I guess Cantonese, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm, my Mandarin is like okay. My Cantonese is a lot better. Oh, cool. Uh, I think growing up watching movies helped me. Like I watched a lot of like Hong Kong movies and along with like a lot of like Hollywood stuff growing up. So cool. Yeah. So for did did watching those films kind of get you interested in filmmaking because you actually studied journalism first though right? Damn, where'd you get all this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I cyber stalker. Yeah, everything's on the internet. People. <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. Be careful. Um, yeah, I studied journalism. Uh, I, I, actually, my family is a big like movie family. A lot of my uncles, like my my, I didn't realize this until like. I talked to him like maybe like 12 years ago, but my uncle on my mom's side of the family like was a big movie buff. Like he came, he came over one night with like all these like little like, like posters that he collected when he was like in Hong Kong of like films. He like gave me like a little like Rashomon like oh, wow. bill like that he's like saved from like Hong Kong when he like saw it in theaters and stuff like that. Like I never knew, like I had a cinephile uncle, <laughs> but then on my dad's side, like everybody loved movies growing up. Mm. So, um, naturally, like I got it from them. Uh, I never thought I could have a career in it, but so I think, uh, I idolized Roger Ebert growing up, I think around high school, 
I started reading his reviews and like he, I started learning actually maybe even before high school, like when I was like 12, Mm. I started reading Roger Ebert and started learning more about like films outside of like the Hollywood world. And it got me like curious about like what else is out there Mm. and like the way that he wrote and stuff like that got me like it, it kind of like developed my love of film like even further so the idea of going to journalism school was to become the next roger ebert <laughs> and um i started reviewing movies at my at uh for my school paper when i was like a junior and it was fun at first but i think by the end of it like i hated it because huh. um one was i kind of kind of like was worried about what kind of person I would turn into like where my job every day was to criticize and look for like faults and things you know I mm. that was uh that was very concerning for me and that and I just realized that like nobody cared what I had to say about movies <laughs> like <laughs> like I could write like the most eloquent review about this like tiny film that like opened at the small art house theater but I'm not going to change like everybody's mind from to from whatever they're going to go see that weekend right right so I mean Ebert did I mean you know rest in peace Ebert like he was a champion of like um you know Asian American cinema as well like he's there's that famous video of him like standing up at the Sundance Film Festival and yeah. like, defending um, Better Luck Tomorrow because some guy was saying, oh, this makes Asians look bad. Well, how can you do that? And, and Ebert's like, whoa, would you be like, would you be saying that mo- shit if like the movie was white kids? Like, right. no, right? So no, Ebert, uh, no, he was a big champion of film and, and Asian American film as well. Yeah. I mean, he was a champion of like like people and like humanity right. it seemed like if you read his reviews there's like life lessons in like what <laughs> he like wrote it's i don't know yeah i mean do you read justin chang stuff he, he's a pretty good reviewer too that i follow yeah. um i don't read as many reviews now yeah you're days. probably like jaded but by, by it, i guess or... um a, a little bit i kind of i just like to go see things and like make like form my own opinions wow you ever read uh Jeffrey Gold stuff like he does the food reviews. Jonathan Gold. Oh, sorry, Jonathan Gold. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So like he's kind of like one of those reviewers where like he'll only be like do good reviews. <laughs> like yeah. He, he so um no yeah so uh, I I can see that like how like if you're paid to actually criticize that's gonna be tough um yeah but so so where was the switch then was it college then or like after finding out oh I kind of hate how I'm becoming from this or um i thought that i think after i graduated i thought i was just gonna be like a journalist and like do stories because i actually enjoyed that part of it and i really i i developed a love of writing in high school Mm. um so i thought i was just gonna be like a reporter or something like that and uh, i got a job at the washington post after i graduated like as like a like a newsroom like aide i didn't really like write or anything like that Mm, that's cool um but um, I I did like make a couple films in high school with mm. like a camcorder that I edited on two VCRs. What? <laughs> like literally, like I made a film like sophomore year it, that I edit. It's like an eight minute film, but it took me like two days to edit. <laughs> like if you showed that kid 
like final cut today like he his mind would explode like knowing yeah. like the kind of work that i put like literally i would like rewind tapes and like stop and like record and it would like mess up like i couldn't but anyways um windows movie maker would you ever use that or no that was high school man, i think or yeah this was this was like 2000 like i didn't know what was available at that uh, time like i yeah. this was like the only way i knew how to like do something yeah so yeah, yeah. i just did it um but after I graduated, I actually took a, I took a, um, I took a course at a community college, like a filmmaking course. And, you know, they gave you equipment and you made two little short films mm. and, you know, quickly saw that, you know, there was a little, there was some value in that and I enjoyed doing it. So, um, I kept doing that. Eventually my film professor hired me at his like new job at this like startup like cable network. Oh, cool. So I worked there for like a year and then I got laid off. And then, um, but through that job I met, um, do you know Eric Byler? He's like, he directed like Charlotte sometimes. Oh, he directed Charlotte sometimes yeah. with, uh, with uh, Jacqueline Kim. Right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah okay. Um, I met him and then I, I worked on a documentary with him for like two, uh, for like, you know, like two years, him and Annabelle Park. And that was kind of like my film school. Cause I didn't, really get paid or anything doing that so um and then i moved out here like a couple of years later to pursue it even further how long have you been in la N almost nine years okay yeah you liking it yeah it was uh, it was really depressing for that first year because i couldn't get a job or anything like that but now that you know i have stuff going on i don't think i'm a picky person like i it's, just give me something to do and a purpose and I'm, I'm fine. Mm. Was that, so. yeah, Dan, any, any follow-up questions? I mean, since your, your family is like a bunch of cinephiles or there are other cinephiles in your family, was the switch to the filmmaking, um, a rough transition as far as your family is concerned? Um, or like support you mean, or like, yeah, yeah. Or, I mean, most Chinese families or Asian families, they, when you when you tell them you're going to go into the arts, it's kind of a, a tough conversation to have, I think. Yeah, I th I think for me, like the it it definitely was. <laughs> I think for me, the thing is like um, everything that I've tried to do to like career paths that I've chosen to like please my dad and my mom, I've failed miserably. <laughs> And like, like my first year of college, I, I tried to be like a computer science major because I thought that that's what they wanted me to do. And, um, I literally got kicked out of school cause my grades were so bad. Oh geez. And I had to come back as like a part-time student and like work my way back. And that, I think w when that happened, they were like, okay, just, just like do what you can to get, to graduate and to, stuff. But I was <laughs> like, all right, let me, bachelor's yeah. So I was like, well, you know, let me do the writing thing. So I, I, I did that. And then, um, yeah, I mean, I kind of like gave you an abbreviated version, but like after I graduated, I tried out like different jobs and stuff like that just to like get a steady job. And I, I don't think I did very well cause I'm, those jobs didn't last very long. <laughs> so, I mean, I, Probably not your fault. It's probably the job market. Right. But yeah. Yeah. That was like a tough time too. But like, I don't know. I, I don't think I was the best employee at some of those places. Mm. Um, 
But yeah, it was around like 2009, 2010. I was still living at my parents' house and they really wanted me to like do something with myself. And I had an opportunity to come out here and I was just like, you know, maybe I should do it. And they're like, all right, just, you know, whatever you want, need to do, like go do it. You know, if it doesn't work out like two years later, like you can always come back and try something else. So, mm. yeah. So, yeah, uh, I guess the a brief, just to sum it up, yeah, they... It took some convincing, but like, like them watching me fail at things. <laughs> Did it take was, about? Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Oh no, go ahead. It sounded like so. Was it like a year of unemployment, sort of, or like? Yeah, when I when I first moved out here, my, the first job I got was working at Best Buy. Okay. That was the only thing I could get. No shame. And, no shame. I worked. You know. I worked at a retail store before. Yeah. I mean, it, it's like what I had to do to survive. But it was like, it was, it was, I almost got fired from that probably. Cause oh, really? Like, yeah, because the, the weird thing about working at Best Buy is they don't actually train you how to do the job. The mm-hmm. one thing, the thing that they train you on is how to sell their Geek Squad protection plans. Oh, gosh. And like, I've never, I've never been good at that. Like, I'm not good with like, sales or, sales or like yeah. making people buy stuff especially like things that i don't believe in <laughs> so, <laughs> like I, I remember in high school like after i i quit chuck e cheese because to go work at the movie theater mm. and because i always wanted to work at the movie theater and like that sounds romantic yeah 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 it yeah. was but like it was miserable because like when <laughs> <laughs> when you work at a big theater chain like they i think you know and you work at the concessions, like they have like a greeting that you want, like, hi, welcome to so-and-so. Would you like to try this and this blah, today? Blah, yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. And I, I, I saw that and I was like, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm not, fuck that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think like a lot of those like mystery shoppers like reported me enough times so that they like kicked me off concession stands and they had like a ice cream stand like outside of the theater and they, every time I came to work, they put me there mm. <laughs> and that was bad too, because I, all I did was just take the little spoons and like, like sample ice uh. cream. All day. <laughs> so. I, I would probably do that too. Shit. Yeah. 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 Um, so that w- was Santa Claus kind of loosely based on that transition then because watching the film, so uh, we'll have this in the, the show notes, but uh, to to Jeff Savimio, but Santa Claus just briefly for our listeners uh, is a short film about fifteen minutes long about uh, two neighbors uh, two neighbor one neighbor she's from China she uh, invites her other neighbor who who lives by himself over and they have a conversation that you know eventually leads to uh, kind of like uh, you know an emotional uh, emotional scene. Um, was Santa Claus kind of loosely based on that transition from from, from the the East Coast to the to West Coast, or, or um, something else? Kind of. I hear a doggy, by the way. Yeah, um, sorry about that. It's no, it's cool. Good ear, good ear. Yeah, it's uh, Harper, <laughs> Dan's dog. Yeah. Um, I actually made a earlier short film. It was, it was like probably my first like narrative that I did when I moved out here, called Midday Crisis, and that short film is. It's a it's a short film about a guy calling a suicide hotline. Yeah, and that was based off of something that really happened to me when I first moved out here, like that first year that I was out here. Like that was like, yeah. So I would say that one more closely, like 
like is a reflection of that time. Um, was that you? But the, was that you on the call? Were you calling? Is that is that I, character representative of you? I guess Can, if I may. Ask? Yes. So I guess I made that because there was a point one time when I was like living out here and I was like so depressed. Also, like I. Hopefully she she doesn't listen to this, but like before I moved out here, my girlfriend broke up with me, so I came out here like in a like hopeful, but also like in a very fragile state. That's tough, man. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I guess I, I I did a year of like not doing, like struggling to get my footing, and I just remember one day like it was a beautiful Saturday afternoon, and I was just driving around like Pasadena and like seeing everybody out. And everybody is like so happy, and I'm living with my cousin and her boyfriend in this like <laughs> tiny house with no air conditioning, and I'm like sweating when I sleep at night and stuff like that. Yeah. And working at Best Buy, where I'm getting yelled at every day for not selling protection plans. <laughs> and I just remember like just like thinking while I'm like driving around like like this is this this is like is this like my life like this. Like, if I disappeared right now, like, nobody would give a shit. So, and then, like, I remember, like, catching myself, like, thinking about that. I'm like, you know what? Like, that's kind of disturbing, man. You should do something about it. So I went home, Googled, like, suicide hotline and called and um, had this really awkward conversation. And I didn't, I think, maybe, like, two or three years later, I was like reflecting on that time yeah. by myself. And I thought about that call that I made. And I think my idea for making it as a film is because I was thinking about it and it started making me laugh because <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. of some of the things I said and stuff like that because of how like insecure I was to like do it. Yeah. So I think that's what prompted me to, to do that. But I guess in relation to Santa Claus, I do like think like yeah loneliness and sadness and like stuff that we like everyday life stuff is a lot of the things that i like to explore in my work Mm. one thing i got from like midday crisis was there was one line where the guy says well black people don't go to therapy you know yeah that was a pure improv line by the actor mandel butler that was was dope yeah yeah it's like you can you can replace that with another minority like oh you know asians we don't go to therapy you know and i was like oh fuck i can totally relate yeah yeah (laughs) yeah i think well for that movie like we i had like really long conversations with him about like the feelings and like what what the character is going through and stuff Mm. like that and and just like getting his mindset and if like we just talked about the times in our life when we were both, you know, down like that, and then um, the the woman on the phone, Robin, she's actually a friend of mine. She's not an actor. She's um, she's actually a psychiatrist. Oh no way! Yeah. So I actually just put them on the phone together and just had them like go and have like a real conversation. And she had like some of that training, so I just told her like just react to what he's saying based wow. off of like what what you would say to that person in real life. So yeah. So when that, when she told him to go to therapy, like that was, that was totally something that came out of him. (laughs) I mean, uh, no lie. I've, I've called the line before, but I think I've called the line. I feel bad saying this, but I think I called the line off curiosity more than like, did I really need it? I was, I think I was down at the time. I was lonely at the time. 
I was I think I was making a a, a long drive. It might have been like one of those drives from the Bay Area to here or or some other long drive. And I remember calling and reception was kind of bad and I just I, and I just felt a little bit awkward about calling. No, yeah, that's that that was my experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cuz I felt like uh, oh, maybe I'm taking away this call from someone who really needs it or <laughs> that that is exactly what happened to me. Like I said that to the operator. I was like, you know, like is there more important calls that you should be on right yeah, now? Was, like is yeah. this I think that's part of like what made me laugh that I actually like did that while I was on the phone, but yeah, it was kind of weird. Like I it was more of like a like I don't like in like the stigma of those hotlines is that like you should call when like you're holding a knife to your right. wrist and stuff like that. But like really what I did at that time was like like did like a preemptive like call before it got worse like that, which I'm glad I did that, but you know. So it helps. Yeah. Um yeah, dude. I mean it 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 it, it always helps to like talk about things, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. So after that one, I'm trying to look at you see, you did a midday crisis. What was the next one after that that you worked on? Uh, out? You know what? I I don't. I, Jenny Wong. I've done a bunch of shorts. Yeah, yeah. I I guess like my, my filmmaking philosophy has been to just like keep keep cranking stuff out. Like yeah. I think I made a bunch of things like that probably isn't on my IMDb for good reason during yeah. that time too, but. Yeah, I think I yeah I did a a couple of documentaries about interesting people. One of them was my grandmother, and then I did Night Out with uh, my roommate Shannon Sarakaku because we both wanted to make something, and then that led to Santa Claus. Okay. Yeah. Um, one thing I want to touch on is um, Family Day about uh, the documentary that you did on your grandma who has Alzheimer's. Uh, if I may ask, is she still with us or? Yeah, she was. I, I kind of made that because I, I didn't think she was going to be around for much longer, but that was maybe like four years ago. So, mm. yeah, she's still alive and living in that home. Because I, what I connect with, because I was raised by my grand, grandparents as well from like zero to ten, um, because my parents were working full time. Um, but, uh, and then towards the end of my gra grandma's life, uh, she started developing dementia or she would think, uh, like when I went to visit but she lived in Taiwan, so there'd be like years where we didn't, wouldn't see each other. And then I would, when I visited her, the last time I visited her, she thought like, you know, oh, are you the doctor? Like to hear to see me? And that, right. I think uh, that was actually for me, probably even a little bit more sadder, I'm sorry to say this, but even sadder than when she passed. Right. Because it, it felt like that person, or. Uh, is gone you know that person that raised me right and, and so that so watching that you know, the film that film but one thing that i also connected was that you can still sense that love right with between um you know if you're looking at these characters like as characters like they're still you can sense the love between them and um i still got that from my grandma like one time i i was just taking a nap near her and she like put the blanket on me you know yeah. even, even though That's i'm right. not sure if she even knows who i am really you yeah. know you know, but anyways, can I'm you sure talk about like the filming, like what led to that project and the filming of it? Yeah. Um, so I guess what started that was, um, well, that's fine. 
what I, what really started that was uh, my boss, like put me through a filmmaking boot camp. Can you see who your boss is or no? Yeah, his name is Jay Duplass. Uh, yo, shout out to the Duplass brothers. Yeah, <laughs> yo, yo. We we had just finished season two of Togetherness, and I, we were driving home from set like after like the last day of shooting, and he was like, you know, I know you haven't been able to like make stuff this past year because we've been so busy with the show. But now that it's over, like, do you want to do, like, I will, like, if you want to, like, make a bunch of things, like, I'll, I'll, like, help you if you want to do this, like, boot camp thing that I've done with other people. Wow. And he was like, it's basically, I'll give you $100 every month. That's your budget. Go make something and just give it to me at the end of the month. $100. $100, that's it. <laughs> so uh, I ended up making... I ended up making four films. Wow. Um, and the last one was a family day. And that one, that one, I, I like, I literally, I just, um, I've always been curious about my grandmother. She's not my biological grandmother, but she, so my grandfather had two wives and, but she was, I think she was like his favorite. He was closer with her. And he was the one that he brought to United States when he came here mm. to raise me and my sister. And so I've been, I've always been very close to her. And like, I think my sister will agree that I'm her favorite. <laughs> I don't know why, but, um, so, but I've, it's kind of weird. Like, I don't know about with you guys, but I've, I've never really known her background. I just know like we're not related and, my whole life, I've always wondered, like, where she came from, who she is. Like, I've never known of her, like, having her own family, relatives, and stuff like that. Mm. Um, and so there was a long time when, when I started making films where I wanted to sit down with her and just, like, get her get her story, like, on, on film. And I, I just, when, when she got dementia, like, I realized it was too late to do that. And... A family day was kind of a just a compromise to not being able to do that. Just like it's my way of like like a tribute to her, mm. and it's like the best I could do without you know because I can't sit down with her and like have a conversation with her now. It's kind of bittersweet because it's like that not that that moment has passed i mean you right. could probably you could probably piece together her history from other people but to get it directly from her yeah that I, moment has passed yeah i think at some point I'm, I'm definitely gonna try to sit down with my dad and and get her you should yeah. full history but yeah, that's kind of where that came from um just it was uh that that boot camp exercise really just taught me to to just you know once you get that slight bit of inspiration yeah. to just go run with it and see what happens and so for that one you know I was watching some documentaries at that time and I was, you know just literally it just sparked from my curiosity about her, mm. her what her day is like at the at the home that she lives in now yeah and just so me and my friend just grabbed a camera and just I was like I told him let's let's hang out there for a day don't let her see us and just film her and what she does. And then towards the end, like we'll, we'll start like talking to her and stuff like that. But 
yeah, I just want to see what that looks like. And then I wasn't sure like what kind of film like it would produce, but yeah. I thought I was curious, like when she saw your picture on the phone, she kissed it like right away. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, okay, well, so I guess she didn't forget you at all. I mean, or I mean, yeah, like I said, she, I was her favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan, and, and like, uh, did you have a similar relationship with your grandparents or not really? Um, I don't think it was. Uh, there's obviously the language barrier between me and my grandparents, um, but I mean, I I did live with my gra- paternal grandmother for a year in first grade while my parents were figuring out their marriage, but I don't think it was quite the same. Hmm. Because you were like a guest, I guess, or. Well, I mean, we were close in in the in that re- we weren't. It was more than just like guest and house guest, or host, but. Uh, I think the language barrier was was like a, a big thing because I had switched, every, my whole language went from Chinese to Jap or Japanese Chinese, and it just became all English after I got to school. So in sixth grade, I was like more thinking about English. Right. You speak Japanese? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, his uh, mom grew up in Japan. Grew up in yeah. Oh, okay. So she's a uh, what's that Japanese a uh, Chinese Japanese I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, wow. Um, so, let me see. Then the other three films, I guess, were what? Was it Was it the one you made with your roommate? or? Uh, yeah, I guess, according to IMDb, the ones that I... <laughs> 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 um, I, I guess Jeannie Wong, Jeannie Wong yeah. Night Out, Santa Claus, and particular time. that particular time, that was yeah. like the first thing I made when I moved out here. So... One thing I want to, I'm curious about is your sw- you you going back and forth uh, with documentary and narrative, right? Yeah. So, uh, is there a preferred medium for you, or it doesn't matter? Um, I think right now I'm focusing on narratives because docu- I don't want to be broke for the rest of my life. Whoa! whoa ouch! <laughs> Shout out to the documentary filmmakers. We no. love you. Yeah, but you know, you know what we're talking about. You know, I did a, I produced a documentary before. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I. I love documentaries are are some of my favorite movies like they're and I think I think even like narrative filmmakers they should make a documentary at least once just to just to learn that way and my my early training was actually in documentaries like nonfiction work so I have a strong affinity for documentaries but yeah right now I'm more focused on like narrative work cool but like even even but even in my narrative work, I try to, you know, create a sense of like realism, you know, mm. as much as possible. So let's talk a little bit about. Um, I guess your last one was Santa Claus. I guess right, your last. Narrative. Yeah, that's that was the last one. And uh, what? So you you've made these other films so far um, through this boot camp with uh, Mr. Mr. Duplass, DJ, and um, so what 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 made. What what culminates? Because I would I would say it's probably your most successful one. I guess it has the most plays on the BBO. Yes, and and it's it's been to festivals. Um, um, yeah. What so? I guess it maybe touches a little bit on some of your earlier themes, like midday crisis. Right. Um. So what culminated to this one, and also what what made you want to get in front of the camera, or you had to, I guess you had to. I guess, I don't know. Yeah. Well, I guess like um, for Santa Claus. That one was interesting. It was, um, 
I think I made Night Out and like a year had gone by. Like mm-hmm. I try to make two or three things a year. But this was the first time like I went on like a long period where I didn't do anything. Yeah. And I was getting really like frustrated and annoyed with myself that I wasn't actively doing something. Um It came about because I have a friend, Yosalu Chen, who plays the woman in Santa Claus. I knew I had her and I will like she's always expressed to me that she wanted to do some acting stuff. So I've kind of always like thought about, you know, what can I put her in? What can I, you know, what kind of character can I draw up for her? But usually I, when I write for people, it's usually pretty close to who they are Mm. as a person. So, um, one day I just, um, I was just thinking, I was like, you know, she's this like very energetic fun like positive person to be around like let's just put her with someone who's gonna destroy that (laughs) (laughs) and then i was like well who's gonna do that and i was just thinking about like me at that current state and how i was like so like depressed and feeling like antisocial and out of shape and all that stuff oh because you were like inactive for a year yeah because i was inactive so i was like you know that's me right now. Like I, I don't want to be around people. I don't want to, you know, talk to anybody right now. And if, if she came to me trying to like cheer me up, I'd probably be like, get away from me. Right. right. You know? Um, and then the whole notion, like having been in Los Angeles for, I guess like seven years at the time, I, I'd spent a lot of Christmases here by myself. And I mean, it's, I mean, it's a lonely city in general. And like, I constantly feel constantly feel lonely in my life um so i kind of wanted to explore this notion of loneliness and maybe that this person who you know is so full of life but deep down inside you know she's lonely lonely as well but dealing with it in a different way mm-hmm. and actually i don't know if you watched the genie wong documentary that's yeah, yeah. the reason why i did that one it was part of the boot camp but like i was i know genie and I was having dinner with her one night. If you know her socially, she's she's like a, she's I don't know how old she is, but she's you know an Four. elderly woman. She makes documentaries. She walks like marathons. <laughs> she goes dancing. She wants to do everything. She right? wants to do everything. But like, I was like talking to her one night, and she was just talking about her being lonely. And I was like, wait, what? Like you're the least like lonely person that I would you're the last person that would expect that would like experience loneliness and that's the reason why I made that because just to explore this like different side of her that I never thought existed Uh. so yeah I guess when I made Santa Claus yeah it's about these two characters who are kind of dealing with the same thing but they come to a head because of you know different it's basically two like you create a situation where Ideally, people would get along and everything would go great, but, you know, life doesn't work like that sometimes. Because mm. it seems like the underlying issue or the underlying humanity of these people is the same, but the energies, the way that they project, pro- the defense mechanisms, I guess, or the way they project themselves 
are completely different energies and they just collide. That yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And actually like through making Santa Claus too, like I actually found myself like identifying with, with her too. Like mm. like I'm usually I'm introverted and pretty quiet most of the time, but like like there are times when I see other people in distress and I you know, try to inquire about what like what's going on and you know, I can I could probably be like overbearing myself too, you know. Mm. Um, so I know, yeah. So I kind of know like where that comes from. Have you have you have you seen a therapist? <laughs> uh, yeah, I go once every other week. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I have a friend. He does it. He calls his therapist a shrink. I was like, why? Why you call him a shrink? He's like, why? Get rid of the stigma. It's okay. I see a shrink. Yeah. I'm like, okay. I don't have enough, uh, I don't know if I have enough income yet or savings to, but I think eventually I'll, I'll sign up for one. Dan, you see a therapist? <laughs> yeah, I have, actually. Yeah, yeah. I have. I, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, yeah, it's something I did for a while and then I just can't afford going forever because it's, it gets expensive. It gets and expensive, my, yeah. Yeah, my previous uh, insurance was much better about it. The newer insurance is not as good. Oh, so you could actually, do you get, like, insurance can cover therapy sometimes? Or? Yeah, yeah. Oh, shit, I need to look into that. Yeah. I just got, ins- I've been on Medi-Cal for so long, which does not cover shit, you know, or I, I'm i not sure if it, yeah, but I just got new insurance, so maybe I'm, I'm going to look into that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have a, yeah. my insurance, and it doesn't cover it, but I have, like, a pretty low, like, copay. Oh, great. <laughs> We're talking, we're getting into medical insurance. <laughs> no, <in this>. hey, <laughs> hey, man, uh, you know, with the Democratic primary coming up, I mean, like, you know. I will, I'll say this. I think, I think every, I could be wrong about this. I mean, I, well, I shouldn't say every, but like, if you're a filmmaker, like, like going to therapy helps so much. Oh my God. Yeah. It yeah. just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's it. It's not a cure-all, obviously. No. It's not a cure-all, but it it is one of, it's like part of a program that you have to do for yourself, right? Yeah, yeah. Totally. I mean, I I still have lots of problems, but I mean, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost like um, you walk around in this world, if you're lucky enough to have like someone you love by your side who you can like talk to, um, honestly about this stuff, like like that might work but like if you're like me constantly like going about this world like navigating it like by yourself and like you and uh, hopefully people aren't like an overthinker like I am but just going to therapists like it's it's almost like you're just like letting all these things out you're like talking about it like you don't you don't have to like come to any like big like epiphanies or anything like Mm -hmm. that but it's literally just like letting off steam and like letting these like like processing these things that are mm. going through your brain it, re- it like it goes a long way to like helping you s- yourself like find a peace of mind mm. and a lot of things i talk about in therapy is is stuff i use as source material for <laughs> for content <laughs> yeah i mean i guess the danger is you don't want to <laughs> invent problems for yourself to make content i guess yeah <laughs> no don't do that don't do that yeah. yeah you have there's enough problems already yeah yeah for um, sure I, I wouldn't i would never think to create more problems yeah <laughs> or drama um i know one thing that i've 
I would say one of my biggest issues now is um, yeah. So I, I worry about you know filmmaking or getting a certain project done. That's that aspect. But I think now the underlying like um, maybe suffering that I have in life right now is probably loneliness and because yeah. uh, it's been about uh, was it seven years since my last relationship serious relationship I, I've dated here and there but um, and I would you know if I have a dream sometimes about my ex I would hate myself for it it was like dude James that's seven fucking years ago get over it or like but like it's my subconscious like it's I mean I didn't want to dream about her you know like um, uh, so sorry what were you gonna say yeah yeah. Uh, I was listening to you. Okay, yeah. So as uh, you were leaning, yeah. Uh, but um, so I think, yeah, I, I wonder about that because something that Dan and I've always talked about was like being okay, being alone. Like that's one of the first steps, like loving yourself, giving love to yourself, and and also enjoying that time alone with yourself because uh, you know, as Dan, I don't want to speak for you, but like as you can attest, like enjoying your own personal free time is it becomes very very scarce as you you know if you choose to be a father or have a family life w- would you agree dan oh yeah definitely yeah i mean um alone time it becomes a treasured item right right now i i guess for me though at my stage in my life i don't know it, it seems that i miss i miss having because because i know what it was like to be in a relationship and i know when i was in the relationship that I, it's like I can never be happy in the present, present, right? And that's tough because that's something I need to deal with. Because when I was in the relationship, I'd be like, "Dang, I want some more f- of my own free time," right? Yeah. And then when I was outside of the relationship, all these years, and I'm like, "Damn, it'd be really nice to have, a, you know, a girl or some someone to talk to." But yeah, any thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, no, I think you some like I I completely relate to that. I mean, I think um there were um there were times like here and there where I've gone on like dates and stuff like that. And I just remember like going on dates and in the back of my mind, it, my mind is telling myself like, what are you doing? Like you should be working right now. You should be <laughs> oh. writing right now. And it, I don't know. It's messed up. Like it, it like it, it, I feel like I came, I came out here to pursue this career. Right. And I'm not saying like like a like a relationship's gonna ruin it, but like I really have to. I feel like as a person, like I have to achieve this before I can like make someone else happy. Sometimes, you know what I mean? Yeah, but it's what. But what is where is that? How Dan, as a <laughs> as a married person, is what I'm saying crazy? Yeah, yeah, it's not crazy. It's not crazy. <laughs> But I mean, huh? Yeah, you just gotta you gotta hustle as much as you can while you can. Yeah. Because once you get married, and especially once you have kids, the time to hustle. Um, it, it well, depending on what kind of father you want to be, right? If you want to be an absentee father, or like a very negligent in your relationship, then yeah, you'll have plenty of time whenever. But definitely, you want to do it while you can. But it seems like your wife is able to balance it somewhat. Yeah, you know she's hustling quite a bit. Yeah, but I, I mean, I'm guessing it's it's tough though. It's not easy. Well, huh? I know you don't want to get too much into details, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it just it 
for her, it's tough because that means it's time away from the family. Like if I got one of those traditional jobs where I have to travel all the time, well, not a traditional job, but if I get a job, a, a true sales job where I go and travel all the time, which is something I could possibly do, that means I miss out on so much, so many things of my, of my kids. Mm. And you know, my wife, she, you know, she's doing the best she can to balance it, but you know, something, something has to give a little bit. She doesn't go to all the soccer games, which might be a blessing in disguise, but at the same time, you know, she doesn't get to see them play. Uh, that's tough. Um, yeah, it was kind of, I was actually on a Vegas trip with my high school friends a couple months ago. And I remember like before we went, it was just like, yeah, it's going to be, we're going to have a great time. We're going to gamble and get drunk and stuff like that. And I remember when we got there, and by the end of the trip, the conclusion I drew was, we are all really old. <laughs> like, uh, I'm, I think, so there was, uh, there was five of us. Uh, me and another guy are the only two single ones. Everyone else has kids and are married. Yeah. And I just remember, like, like the two that I was living, like, staying, shared a room with. Like, one of them was just like, oh man like what am I doing here like I, I left my family like for the weekend like my wife is taking out like I miss them and stuff like oh. that <laughs> and then the other one like was like FaceTiming with his family like mm. like frequently and stuff like that and can I ask you're in your 30s I am 37 <laughs> think, yeah, about, think it. about it <laughs> so yeah do you get pressure from your parents or your grandparent, your grandma? Um, n no, because I think they know. <laughs> I think they know what the deal is. Uh, and plus, my sister got married last year, so that bought me okay. some time. She older or younger than you? She's younger by one year. Okay. So, but I think, um, I mean, I, I think they know it's not, it's not easy for me. I guess. I mean, I, I'm not. I'm like I'm not doing terrible, but like right now, I, like I don't think. Yeah. So I kind of want to segue, Dan, did you have anything else on this topic? I kind of want to segue from that to, um, yeah, dating in general, like kind of about the Invisibilia podcast, unless you have anything else to add. No, Let, let's, let's move to the Invisibilia podcast. Yeah, so um, you did mention like your sister getting married, like, it's interesting because I, I wonder, I wonder if it's easier for Asian American females in the dating scene than Asian men. Actually, Dan, is your wife, if I may ask, is she Asian or? Yeah, she's she's half Chinese, half Filipino. Okay. Yeah. So, so the Invisibility Podcast, have you guys both, you guys both listened to it, Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm actually a huge Invisibility fan. Were you a fan of that episode, though? Uh, yeah, I, I like all you, did you have issues with that episode? I'll, I want to hear your, uh, your opinion first. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, okay, this is, I mean, it's, it's, not even, it's not just that episode, but, like, this is something that I've been processing for a long time. Uh, I'll say this. I have, like, in my family, in my generation, like my, like my cousins, my sister, uh, I think, like, f five or six of them are married. Uh, the females in my family and one out of all of them is married to an Asian man. Okay. So, and I remember, I remember growing up, like me and my sister are really close. So we talk about like dating and stuff a lot. 
and my sister has never had the desire to date an Asian person. I think she's only I think she's only talked about one Asian person being hot her whole life, and that was um, Takeshi Kaneshiro. Okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, the actor from like Chunking Express and yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Um, Wait, she... is that the guy from House of Flying Daggers? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She, well, he's a good-looking guy. He's good-looking. <laughs> yeah, he's dude, very yeah. good-looking. <laughs> so you have to. So basically, you have to be a very good-looking man to to be passable for my sister. To <laughs> <laughs> Just to be passable. <laughs> right. um, but yeah, all my. Um, so I guess for me personally, like like you see that, like it's it's like it's immediate, like in your even in your own family. Mm. Um, but I think I think what I've come to is is this like. You know, we talked about a lot. We talked a lot about like loneliness and, and stuff out here, and you know, and, and Los Angeles is a really lonely city, and I feel like it's gotten worse with like Instagram and like Facebook and stuff like that. I think those contribute to our our feelings of loneliness. And when you're out and about by yourself, and you do see, you know, it's I don't I don't think I'm exaggerating. Like when you go out on the streets, you see a lot of white male asian female like couples that running around out there out in the field yeah 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 is that no, oh yeah when, when you're out at the grove or whatever <laughs> santa monica yeah, you see a lot of yeah, yeah. um like i'm not crazy for saying that right no you are not i okay. i noticed it too and I, I even see that in the bay area too. right yeah 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 um so I, I think in one podcast they talked about like the frustrations and I, I forgot what term did they use like a term to describe some of these men who write like blogs and stuff like that. I don't know. Uh, Is there about which men like the angry men? The or, angry men, yeah. Yeah, there's a Asian male activists. You know, right. that's one term. Or there, you know, there's like incels, like in involuntary celibates. Right. You know? I, th- I think, um, I think for me, like I. I get where that frustration is coming in, coming from, uh, like when you're out and about and you're seeing like happy couples and stuff like that. But I think I always like stop and like check myself and say like, you know, is this like, like, is this the truth of the situation or is there something else? Like, like what is like from, I guess essentially it's, it feels like a momentary, like spur of the moment, like feeling that you get of like, that's just like accentuating your like feelings of loneliness mm. that you become like frustrated. Yeah. I think the truth of the matter is, is it, is it a, I don't say handicap, but is it like a disadvantage to be a ma- Asian male, like dating? It probably is. I don't know where that comes from. Like people Statistically, say, Statistically it is. I yeah. mean, based on, um, I forget what, it might've been okay. Cupid match.com yeah right. they did a survey and um as far as rankings go is you know white men on top uh, i think the next was either black or hispanic i forget or but yeah asian men were considered least desirable in the online dating surveys right and then uh black women unfortunately were also labeled as least desirable in the female section right know? yeah so i guess from that you know the takeaway is like there's probably is like a reality to the desirability of, of Asian men. Um, I don't know where that comes from. Maybe it's people say like portrayal in media or whatever, but like 
that's kind of like the hand that we're dealt. Yeah. Um, what's not for me, like what's not productive is to blame the women for this. Like it, it's essentially it comes down to preference and taste. If they prefer white guys or whatever, you know, that's, I've, I've basically come like we as men have no ownership for any over any woman walking around. She's basically, you know, is free to choose whoever she wants to be with. Mm. And that's their preference. And I think we'd be lying if the three of us sat here and said that we don't have preferences right. ourselves, you know? So it's, it's not like, so I like, uh, females with vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, I think for me, the, the encouraging part of that podcast was hearing that one woman who tried to make a conscious effort to to broaden her horizons. Like She wants to fuck her way out of racism. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's, um, I th- like, one of my big concerns, like, with the world in general is, like, a lack of, like, self-awareness. And yeah. to hear that people are, like, thinking, like, about these things. Like, I don't know. For me, that was, like, encouraging. Like, Yeah. Uh, like, but the, I've had the thing, like the reality is I've had two girlfriends I've been on dates, so it's not like, so my, like I, I can still get dates. You know what I mean? It's not like maybe my pool is not as wide as a tall, skinny white guy, but I'm, I'm still able to, you know, people who are interested in me and I should just be appreciative of that. And if there's someone that I'm interested in, I probably have to work harder maybe to be impressive for them. Cause I, you know, I'm not a tall, thin white guy maybe, but, mm. um, I don't know. That's just have what you, I have to deal with. Have you ever lived in Asia before or have you dated in Asia before? I, <laughs> it's funny. You bring <laughs> I, so I did my first girlfriend. I was on a study abroad trip for school. Was it the love boat? No. <laughs> no. It was, uh, <laughs> actually, so shout I, out to Valerie. So the um, the the um, the family restaurant hindered my ability to do any sort of social interactions in high school because <laughs> I was there. I don't know. I was like, I was, I was, I worked every weekend at the family restaurant. Oh, I see. I never like went to parties or anything like that. There was one like Korean girl who used to, fuck, she listens to this. Anyways, there was, Shout this, out to Korean yeah, uh, there was this one girl that I, I actually grew up going to school with who I had a massive crush on. She would actually come eat at my restaurant and I would give her free food all the time. What? <laughs> Your parents are very mad listening to this. Yeah. Um, but is she Korean American or Korean Korean or Korean American. Okay. Um, but what, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. Um, so I actually never had my first girlfriend until I was 21 and that was, I was on a study abroad trip to China. Um, and she was, I didn't meet her in China. Well, I guess I did, but she was, <laughs> she was actually one of the girls like in our group. Like she wasn't a girl that was in, who lived in China. Uh. So I started dating like one of the, one of the girls in the group and we came back and started 
had a relationship for a year and a half or so. Yeah, because yeah. I do notice I've lived in Taiwan, and uh, I don't know. There's a kind of a shift, a little bit of a shift, definitely, because it's a different racial, social, economic, um, you know, society. Yeah. So I, I was like, oh wow, so this is how white guys feel in America. <laughs> like, if you're like a decently attractive Asian male in Asia, like in, uh, and if you can somewhat speak the language, you know, like I was living in Taiwan, and my parent, my family's from Taiwan. Um, I thought I could, and also some some girls they have like, oh, you're from you're ABC, uh, like some girls like that, you know, and then that there might be borderline fetish sometimes there, but which I kind of don't like, but I was like, oh wow, it's interesting, yeah, yeah. Um, I Dan, uh, I I want to get your thoughts real quick on the episode. Well, I uh, thought. What would you think? You know, the most important, or not. Most we'll have that in the show notes the, below, by the way. Yeah. What's that? Oh, well, uh, I was just saying to the listeners, we'll have the uh, the no, we'll have in the show notes a link to the the that podcast. But yeah, sorry. Go okay. ahead, Dan. But one thing that uh, the biggest thing I got from that that uh, that episode was that initial attraction was based upon what you what uh initially got you excited or the the type of person or the race of the person that first got you sexually aware or something like that right so i thought that was the most important or that that was like the biggest thing for me those like preferences is basically based upon your environment and where you were at that that point of time in your life when you became more more sexually aware or like interested in opposite sex i guess That's what I got from Oh, uh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that was interesting. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting... I don't I don't know how it fit. It didn't really fit well, I think, as as if you look at the episode as a whole, as like a narrative structure. I don't know. It, it seemed a little bit like kind of put in there because I don't see how that related to Elle's... You know, she's the one that wants to fuck her way out of um, racism. I didn't... I, I guess maybe because she... Her first relationship was with a white guy, I guess. Maybe that's... I don't know. Um... Yeah, I, I think, well, real quick to add to, like, Dan's point, too, I think, um, I remember, like, early on when I was really young, mm. being attracted mostly to, like, aside from that Korean girl, yeah, <laughs> attracted mostly to, to white girls, and I think a lot of that was, was a sense of shame of, like, my own culture, uh. like, I, like, I, I remember going to school and just, like, just wanting to fit in, and, like, anything I could do to, like, not stand out was was like my ideal way to like go through like mm. my daily life at school and stuff like that you know question for you like just, I, yeah go ahead oh no i was gonna say real quick like a story like my dad i remember he went on a business trip to like japan one time and like one of the things he like he brought me home this like backpack from japan with like anime characters on it dope and you know, it was kind of a cool backpack, but I remember taking it to school the next day, like wearing it, and I got made fun of like crazy. Like I, and I never wore that backpack again. And it's it just anything like I didn't want any attention brought to me, like get, whatsoever. And guess what? That those fucking white kids wear that backpack now and get fucking laid. You know? Yeah, exactly. What the fuck? Uh, what the fuck? And and. Uh, it's just a, a different era. It, it, well, 
It's kind of like crazy. It's like, oh, you eat kimchi? Oh, that's gross. And now it's like fucking, oh, hey, these fucking white hipster guys like, oh, I'm making hipster. I'm, this is how you, there's like white people telling me how to eat kimchi now. Like, what the fuck? Like, how did, how did things get, become like this? You know, you're telling me how to eat pho? Fuck you, you know? And because like the, these are the foods that we were made fun of growing up and then all of a sudden it's now mainstream and now we're supposed to be like, oh, well, thank you for like appreciating our culture. You know, fuck you. Yeah, seriously. Anyways, sorry, I got to I mean, really but a match there. Yeah. <laughs> the thing is, you're thinking about your 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 life right now. But once you have kids, you're going to appreciate that it's actually going to be better for them. Yeah. Interesting. OK, for sure. That's that's a great point, actually. It's better. Um, I guess what my problem is, like, th the actual infrastructure of why that is. It's kind of like, oh, basically it's better for the kids because white people are more accepting. and But they were not accepting when, when we were kids. And so what does that mean? That means that are we constantly always trying to seek white approval, you know? Or are hmm. or, well, or is, I don't know. I, I think... Once you have kids, it's going to be a, like a different perspective. Like I, I personally see my kids; they're very, both very, very confident kids. Oh, great! And versus like the way I grew up, I was always self-conscious about how I looked, you know, how I dressed, making sure I fit in with everybody, and just kind of like not stick out. I didn't want to be that that nail that stuck out and had to be hammered back into place. Oh, yeah. But my kids don't care. My kids do not care. I have two boys, and they show up to school with nail polish. Great, and Man, and my my older son got made fun of. Like he, all the boys and all the girls, like that's for girls, that's for girls. He goes, it doesn't matter. It's for boys and girls, and he didn't care, and he still does it. That's so awesome. Your so your son is I, I, more confident than even me right now. Ouch! <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I it's just a matter. I don't know. I don't know about your backgrounds as far as like you know the actual upbringing part. You know how how. Like Chinese people have this thing about it's never good enough, right? So I never felt good enough. My parents, I remember they were doing this, blah blah blah, and then I, I might get like straight B's for whatever reason. And they go, "Why didn't you get A's?" This is the tiger mom thing, right? It's, it's a very Chinese thing. They they kind of make you feel bad for doing pretty good. Yeah, I remember. But, yeah, I did like a karate competition, and my dad's like, "James, you look kind of sloppy out there." I'm like, "Dude, I'm like fucking yeah. sweating my ass off," you know, and like, yeah. Yeah, but I, yeah. that's the kind of that's the kind of thing people do. Chinese people do. <laughs> Sorry, you were gonna say something. And, no, no, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. But I, one thing I was gonna ask was like, did you speak uh, Cantonese in public with your parents uh, in Maryland or um, DC or yeah. My my parents speak pretty good English, so I think I I spoke more English. I I definitely tr avoided speaking any foreign language in front of like kids you know like if my wow. parents came to school which they rarely did but like if they did like i i you you couldn't twist my arm hard enough to get me to speak cantonese oh, to anybody man like i like i i've said this to my therapist and i think it's true because this is how i remember it so it's got to be true but <laughs> i remember especially like in high school and middle school like my objective going to school every day was not to get good grades. It was just to make it through the day without getting made fun of or doing anything embarrassing. Uh, you know, I don't know if that's what you guys experience, but yeah, yeah. I, I, it goes back to the 
to uh, the. I think the way that your parents or my parents at least uh, made it feel. I had to be like a certain way, and, and just like I had to ex- be. I had to stand out in a in a good way, <laughs> and not be individual in a way that's kind of eccentric. I guess. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Oh, t- it's it's like conflicting messages because they. At home, I was taught to be this way and this way. But then you go to school and, like, everybody who's cool and everybody who's, like, popular are, like, the dirtiest and, like, rotten kids. <laughs> and so you go to school and you feel like you have to, like, be like that in order to be, like, liked by anybody. Because if you raise your hand too much and you know too much that you're going to get made fun of. Right. And it's kind of like, yeah, it's like, it's a different, it's interesting. This is, this is where there's a culture class. You know, I love. I don't want to demonize Asian culture. I love Asian culture. I still rep it. You know, I, I'll rep it to my dying days. As for, but there are there are cultural clashes between um, American life and you know Chinese or Taiwanese uh, life because it's kind of like it comes from, and that's kind of ingrained from Con- Confucian ideals, right? Of like there's the family relationships. You have to be respectful. You don't want to speak out of turn. Stuff like that. Right. Whereas in America, it seems like, damn, to get ahead in America, you gotta be. And kind of arrogant prick, I guess. But then again, what does that mean? Like our, like the Asian, I, uh, you know, uh, level of the arrogant prick is like actually like speaking out or something like that, you know. And so it's kind, of, it's it seems like, um, I know in America, it's something I'm still learning how to do, is is to be a little bit more, uh, ask ask more questions, um, like you know, I remember something my dad told me was like James, like. Uh, like when I would ask him a question he'd be like James go figure it out <laughs> you know like yeah. figure it out yourself which is good is self-independence but the negative of that was that I'm kind of scared of asking questions now to be honest yeah. yes yeah that, yeah that was actually one of the first things I, I learned about myself in, in therapy was that like I like all my life like you know going through like puberty and stuff like that like yeah. I, that was I Ne- I would never go to like my parents to, like ask them questions about that stuff, so I, I literally like spent a lot of my life like trying to figuring things out like on my own, and I think the result of that like I, I'm like the person that I am now like I I don't want to bother people I feel yeah. like I, I I like try not to bother people and yeah yeah and well yeah, it, go ahead, it's a very Asian thing. I mean, one of the language corner words I've I've used in the past is meiwaku. Mm. In Japanese, you don't want to cause trouble for other people. So basically, you have to be a little bit self-sufficient. Yeah. And going back to the point of like, you know, who made it, who made their opinions or somebody else's opinions matter more than our own opinion? I think in some ways, it's our own way of of like dealing and our own view of the world. If mm. if our kids, if we actually were super confident, if I was as confident as my kids. I wouldn't care about bringing rice balls to school for lunch in, in first grade or second grade, yeah. but I cared. Yeah. So yeah. I think it, a lot of it has to be the cultural part, like making you feel not good enough in general. Mm. Does that make sense? That makes sense. You, asked, yeah. you asked who actually gave them that power. We kind of did in that way. Our parents did in a way by like making sure that you, ca- you can't stick out. Ah, I see what the, you're saying. Yeah, okay. Do you, and the confidence. Do you guys, um, or let me, I guess let me ask you this. Like, do you guys find yourself like identifying with, with one culture more like the American mindset or more like the traditional Chinese like mindset? Uh, 
Dan, you want to take that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I am totally Chinese, and I I didn't really like. Uh, we've talked about it before, but I felt more Chinese once I started finding the cool things about you know Chinese culture. Yeah, yeah. And once I got you know once I got one thing, then everything else started becoming cooler and cooler and cooler. That one thing was kung but fu, right? That one thing was kung fu because like it was it was indisputable. And then I, you know, brought out the confidence to me. Like you know, Chinese people are awesome because they made this this system that's lasted for hundreds of years that totally worked, and everyone wants to learn it, or everyone did want to learn it at one point. Yeah. I would so. yeah, I agree. I think one thing for me was watching uh, Edward Yang film in high school, mm. uh, called uh, a one and two uh, EE, and I saw that I was like, what the fuck? There's like a whole, a whole Taiwanese family on like on screen. Like I put in, I think it was a VHS tape. I just I I saw it on the way out leaving um, the video store where I used to get pornos, and like I was like, whoa, this is like what what's what's this what's this cover about? You know. Uh, it was like just an Asian kid with a camera or something, right? And I, I just, I just picked it up on a whim and I watched it. I was like blown away, you know, like seeing Asian faces and like, uh, you know, and I think from that point and also watching like Evangelion or anime, I just, it, it's something I connected with personally. And uh, I, you know, I don't know necessarily if I had to be Asian to connect with those things. I think I, if I was another race, I would have connected with those things, but. Being Asian and seeing that this awesome stuff was coming out of Asia, I was just like, damn, this is fucking awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, did you ever about, come with it? Oh, sorry, what were you going to say, Dan? What about you, Jeff? I mean, yeah, do Jeff, you feel I was going to say, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm a confused person. <laughs> I, like, I, I find myself, like, going back and forth a lot. Like, I, I definitely think I do have, like, a very American mindset. And, like, I, I believe in, like, you know, like, individuality and stuff like that more over like the collective good i th i think see this is part of my confusion but um it's kind of weird but i am like very proud of like a lot of certain aspects of like chinese culture like when i go to like san gabriel valley and stuff like i don't i don't connect with like a lot of these like new Chinese immigrants who are like wealthier and stuff like that. But <laughs> oh, when I, yeah. when I step into a Samu and stuff like that and the wait staff and the cooks and stuff like that, I guess maybe from growing up in a Chinese restaurant and cooking with my uncle, like I immediately like feel at home, like mm. right there, you know? And also like, I don't know about you guys. But, like, did you guys grow up with like watching Chinese movies or Asian movies at all? Here like, in Kung Fu movies. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I watched my grandma used to watch like some Japanese channels and stuff on like Asian channels on TV. Yeah. Yeah. Cause like, I, it's kind of weird. Cause like with the, uh, with crazy rich Asians it came out yeah. last year, like a lot of people were talking about like representation and stuff like that. I, I mean, I, I could be wrong or whatever, but like I, that's something like I, I never missed in my opinion or not in my opinion. I, I feel like I never missed out on because like when I was three, four years old, growing up with my grandparents, like I was watching Bruce Lee movies with them. Mm. I was watching Jackie Chan. I mean I was I was watching like a better tomorrow when I was like six years old. <laughs> you know. <laughs> well, violence, yeah, but yeah. like like those people were all like cool to me. Like Bruce Lee was like I wanted to be like Bruce Lee. Oh, I wanted to be like Chow Yun Fat. I wanted to be like Tony Long and stuff like that. And I, I quickly found out that I wasn't. That was more of like a shy, sensitive kid and who didn't want to fight anybody. But like that was something like I, yeah. And then, like I've always 
and then that transitioned to like Stephen Chow movies who yeah which like oh, okay like we can be funny too and then that transitioned to college when I discovered Japanese film and specifically um Koreeda and Ozu mm. I was like oh we can like Asians can be delicate and sensitive, sensitive yeah. also so I like I've never like granted these aren't Asian Americans sure but I've I've never felt like I've been devoid of like Asian role models, mm. you know. Yeah, but like well, a- Asia, Asian role models from Asia, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. I guess Bruce Lee is uh, kind of mixed, but yeah. Go ahead. Chinese Americans. Yeah. I, I, I think for me personally, it, you just kind of pick, pick the best of what you want, you know. You, like, I'm raising my kids definitely not the way my I was raised, and it's because my wife is like very cognizant of of those things that I don't do the the Chinese guilt thing and make them feel bad or try to avoid doing that because one thing I want to do is I want to make sure that they keep that confidence and they have that sort of entitlement you know they they should feel like they deserve things in a certain way not like completely entitled but at least confident enough to ask for things yeah and and not be afraid to ask for things and one thing I noticed is like prince, like one thing that one of a guy do uh, tai chi push hands with is like principles are principles. No matter what, so let's let's use martial arts as an analogy. No matter whatever what martial art you do, they're based on body mechanics, right? Or whatever sport you do, there's it's based on like movement and uh, right. you know. So basically, okay, sure you can learn tai chi to protect yourself, um, but you could also learn karate, you can learn muay thai, you can learn judo, jujitsu. But they're all different ways. They're they're all using the body and different ways of moving the body. So it's kind of like these cultures, American culture or Taiwanese culture, or Ch- Chinese culture, or Taiwanese culture. They they're I mean they're based on you know thousands and thousands. Of, you know I guess America is kind of newer, but China is based on thousands of years of history. But that was at that time, and so I guess we I think to evolve or to adapt those ideas to to how you're living the you know in whatever situation you're living now and that's i don't know how to do that but like i think i think i, I think I, get, I think maybe that's kind of what you're saying dan right like you're kind of adapting um or you're basically like bruce lee said you discard what you don't need and you take what 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 is useful what what works yeah what yeah. works yeah yeah okay um yeah we're coming up that time one thing i just want to say about my personal opinion on the podcast uh the, the invisibilia one was um i thought oh, she yeah was we totally li- didn't we was, totally like brushed through that really no quickly. that's fine whatever <laughs> uh like i one thing i i wanted to touch on was um very two different stories c story and l story C is dealing with C is the male character in that podcast, and he's dealing with that self shame. And I think something that I've that I've noticed, you know, you know, with Asian the Asian American male experience and the Asian American female experience are different. Let's just be honest. There's similarities, obviously, because we're all, you know, there's there's the feeling of otherness sometimes, that feeling of maybe shame about our culture. But it seems that as far as what, especially when it comes to dating, there is a, a very big divide because Asian women statistically are seen as most desirable in the online dating surveys. And you can, you know, and like Jeff mentioned, you can, you can see this in reality. You can see that in the couples and you can see that like walking on the street. And 
yeah, you're right. I don't want to feel resentful about that. I don't want to feel angry at the woman for that. But I'm not going to say it doesn't affect me. When I see that, it affects me. But that's a momentary thing, though, right? Like, or do you think, do you find, or do you think there's like truth behind? I think it's, it's also where I'm at in my life right now. Yeah. Because I've been single for so long is that my the reactive mind the reactive state is resentment which it shouldn't be it's, i'm trying to move past that i'm aware of it which is the first step right but i i'm still trying to figure out like oh i, I sh you know try to get past that oh she's a white worshiping bitch you know like i i don't i that's a i'm not gonna lie that's a thought that comes to my head do I, are the thoughts me? No, like that's what Eckhart Tolle says. Like your, my thoughts are not me, right? My right. thoughts are these things that, that spun up from whatever, like my, you know, my, my experience with life. So when I listen to that podcast and the, the stories, there is a certain level of resentment I have. One being is that Elle, she's obviously sounds like very, she's attractive uh, Asian female and she's very privileged. She has the opportunity and the ability to fuck the rainbow. Right. Asian men, we can do that. But it's going to take a lot more effort and we got to be a lot better looking, right. <laughs> you know, and and see uh, his story about how he fucking like fucked up his nose because uh, he wanted to look more white or something. And I'm like, OK, I'm, I'm so lucky that I grew up in a, in a majority Asian area. So luckily, I didn't have that kind of body dysmorphia, but I kind of get where he's coming from now. Like, I th it's weird. I came from a majority Asian area in the Bay Area and then I come here to LA, which is still very strongly Asian, right? But I can, it seems that the hierarchy is a little bit more delineated. I don't, I don't know uh, about you guys, but like, it, it just feels like, uh, yeah, the, 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 the city is kind of a lonely city, something you talked about. And also seems like your, your self-worth or your value, value is about, you know, how, depending on what industry you are, how much you make, and also, you know, partially how good looking you are and what race you are, which right. I, you know, and it's, it's, as someone who feels lonely or feels sad sometimes, it's painful. Right. It's I, very painful. I totally understand that. I think I'm at a, for me, I'm at a place where I'm, I'm more at peace with, with that thought. Like I've, I've accepted that that's my reality and that's, that's just basically what I have to live with. You know, and I'm not like I'm not I don't I don't really feel sorry for myself anymore. And I definitely don't blame women. In fact, I, it'd be interesting if if a woman came on here someday to like talk about this stuff, because I'd, I'd love to hear what they would say about yeah, it. Yeah. But I think it's it's actually kind of my approach to like creating characters now too. like like you have all these strong feelings that are emanating from yourself. Right about this topic and i i have very strong feelings about you know things that happen in my life too but like when you create characters you really have to like find what the other person is feeling too you know you like you can't make a one-sided movie that like creates one point of view mm. you know like to create conflict and stuff like that you really have to dig deep and like figure out what other people are doing and that sense of empathy and I think that's that's been like my approach to filmmaking, and I, I think, in a sense, that's like taught me how to like deal with, with like life situations too. Yeah. You know, um, 
and therapy helps. Therapy helps. <laughs> yeah, there's a takeaway from this podcast. Uh, therapy helps. You know it, and you know hopefully you find the right therapist. Not all therapists are equal. You know, find something that fits you. you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I don't know, and Dan. Do you have Do you have any feelings about that? Well, I mean, it, it's just it goes with everything, right? Um, as, as it's, I probably felt more resentful when I was younger because I, I wasn't like confident in myself, and it, it preference is preference. It's like a visceral thing sometimes. Right. I like I prefer vanilla more than chocolate, something you know, ice cream, and I prefer, you know, Coke over Pepsi. Doesn't matter. It's it's everyone's own personal things. Yeah. How old are you, James? If I may ask. I'm 34. Okay. I'm 35 this year. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. I'll say this too. I, I like Dan just brought up something that um, that made me think about when I was in college, like in my 20s. Like most of my twenties, I was an angry person. I was like most, like a lot of it was like me being away from home for the first time and being really scared, mm. and that was my way of dealing with it. But was like, college in the same area or different? Uh, it was in Delaware, which was only like in like an hour forty minutes away from where my parents lived. Yeah, but still, like I, I was there by myself, and actually, that was the first time being in Delaware. It was the first time I I didn't experience diversity, oh. and I thought I thought it'd be fine. And it turned out I had like the opposite reaction. <laughs> my all my friends first three years were were all um, African American, so I, like I rolled with them. And like I, <laughs> like I, I'm not gonna lie. Like I was a maniac. Like during those years, like I probably said a lot of like really stupid things, a lot of like things out of like anger and stuff like that. Sure. Yeah. Um. So if anybody who encountered me during that time is listening. I'm really sorry. Jeff, sorry, guys. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it's kind of weird. Like, yeah, as I've gotten older and I've had more time to, like, reflect on the world and 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 myself, like, yeah, I've, I've definitely, like, chilled out a lot more and become more at peace with, with things. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I mean, that's good, yeah. I'll, I will I, say, too. I, oh, no, go ahead, Dan. No, go ahead, Jeff. I was going to say... Um, I listened to one of your previous podcasts where you talked about how like creative creativity like is at your peak in your like twenties and thirties uh, and stuff like that. Um, I will say this: I if I started like I'm 37, I, I'd say like I really didn't start making stuff until I was like 30. Like I started making stuff like around 25, 26, but I really didn't like ramp it up until I was like 30. And I'll say this: like if I if I started way earlier, I'd be making way different things. Mm. Like I remember like early on, like the stuff I was inspired by was like Tarantino and like very like flashy and like visual type stuff. And now like I'm into like Corriedo zoo and like Mike Lee and like, yeah. So it's kind of, so it's kind of like you can still be creative at any stage of your life. It'll just be that you produce different things at each stage of your life. Yeah. I'm not sure. I hope, I hope I didn't reach my create creative. Base. No, you haven't. No, <laughs> so, no. But yeah, I, no. I I would say like my the life experience that I've had through this time up until now, it's it's really shaped what I've done, mm-hmm. and it's the time that I've had to reflect on my life. It's helped me shape the kind of stuff that I do now. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, one last thing I was going to say is that uh, I do feel that we do need more platforms for uh, Asian-American men. 
to be honest, because Yo Wei Sha, she's a Asian American female. She was the creator of that podcast. I, I props to her. Thank you for bringing that kind of uh, issue to light. And also, but then the other major uh, ones, like the Celeste Ng article she writes about, about Asian men, men being angry at her for talking about um, not wanting to date Asian men. Um, there was uh, two other female writers. So it seems that female, uh, Asian American females, you know, props to them for actually like bringing these kind of issues to light. But I think we need more Asian American male voices about like interracial dating or that feeling, the feeling of, you know, feelings of shame or resentment. Um, that's just, let's be honest. And I think part of, and I'm going to be honest too, this is something I mentioned about um, when I was talking about Minding the Gap, the, the documentary, whereas that one thing I noticed is that, you know, race was kind of taken out. He didn't really talk about race in his documentary, but he talked about Curie's race. And I thought, you know what, why, why is that? And I, I just feel that, Sometimes Asian American men, especially, we edit ourselves out uh, because it doesn't seem to appeal to, let's face it, the white-dominated society. Um, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I'm gonna say about that. Um, anything else, Dan, before we go to the language corner and, and wrap it up? Um, we have to wrap it up because my wife is waiting to watch Game of Thrones. Yes, Game uh, of Thrones, <laughs> Sunday. Uh, I, I know that we got some feedback about this particular topic by somebody <sighs> okay yeah i don't sure. even remember it too well yeah so she says so anyone who doesn't like to date asian men are whitewashed well it just seems to me those words so this is what she said okay well it just seems to me those are words are coming from a deep down bitter narcissistic asian men or i think she meant man who can't handle rejection that well that's what someone had wrote on our uh instagram yeah so dan what would you want to say to that uh i mean I don't remember even the conversation that we had regarding that, but again, everyone has their own preferences. Um, I, I'm, everyone says like dumb things when they're young, and I think uh, maybe some things were taken out of context, or maybe we did say it, but I think, I think overall, everyone has their own thing. Let, let it all lie we're yeah. looking at her instagram right now um but anyways yeah okay yeah everyone has their own thing but like what i say is like it's problematic if you cut out an entire race i mean just i would say just question that i, I think what if anything be self-aware and ask yourself why if you're okay with those reasons why just ask yourself why if you're okay with that preference and the reasons why go for it you know i guess like yeah. um sorry not to prolong this but like if you guys like what would your solution be to this, you know. <laughs> that's a long um yeah I, I'll, I'll keep it short uh my solution is that i even with me like you said even with the three of us we have our own preferences right right so when i when i'm on my online dating and i'm about to swipe left on someone like to to, to say no to someone i ask myself why <laughs> and if i'm okay with those reasons i just let it go you know that's one thing I'm more aware of. To be honest, you know, I've swiped probably, I, I, I have a preference towards Asian women, I've noticed. So whenever I come of someone of, of another race, I actually look at that person's profile and say, wait, is it because of their race only? Or is it like, you know, something else, you know, or is it because of some other reasons? Like, I don't, you know. So that's something, I think like what you said, is having that, that awareness is, is the first step and then, asking yourself questions 
yeah, asking, yeah, Dan. I I think it's more about yourself, right? If you have confidence in yourself, you can just deal with whatever comes with you or comes at you, or you know, you don't worry about other people's preferences or other people's things. You just you know do your thing, and know that what you're doing is is good for you. Yeah. So, and that's how I want to raise my kids. Yeah. That that's an important thing, ja- James. When you have kids, you're gonna like view things way differently. <laughs> you are, and I, I just want to make sure my kids understand that you know what other people are doing, their thoughts, their preferences, their likes or dislikes. That's on them. That's not on you. Right. And it's not, they just have yeah. to do. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. That that's that's the thing. I have to teach my the next generation to get better about themselves and not use the Chinese guilt and make them feel bad at all and make them feel inadequate. Yeah. Uh, Dan, I feel like I talk too much. I feel like you should have talked more because <laughs> you apparently are the wisest among you us You are the wisest. And your kids are very lucky to have a dad like you. Aww. I, I don't know about that, but uh, Jeff, what are your thoughts? Um... I guess I asked you guys because I, I, I really don't know. Yeah, it's tough. I guess like in in my I can only control like what I do, and yeah, I think I think for me the the thing that I've discovered through like watching like uh, I don't, I I know movies the best I guess so to use like a filmmaking example like a lot of the movies that I watch outside of like you know the Hollywood stuff you know it's it's all like really gorgeous like beautiful people and that's what they're glamorizing but like if you truly seek out like some of these like smaller independent films that are just like about regular people you know they tend to not cast like you know people who like who like embody that ideal like what we what we've come to know as like beauty sure right Okay, like, this is an example. Like, did you guys see Roma last year? Yeah. I watched it, no. but, yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch it. You can skip it, Dan. It's still kind of, oh, I don't know. I thought it was a bore. Yeah, but okay. Was, yeah. So, uh, I love that movie. <laughs> but, like, like that, the main character of Roma, yeah. like, not a supermodel or anything like that, regular-looking person, but I, I literally walked away from that movie, like, finding the beauty in that person and people like that. And I think that's what film like films like that have helped me through like judging the true beauty of a person as opposed to like judging them by like society standards of beauty question would you date her totally wow okay <laughs> see movies the power of movies so prior to that right. movie you wouldn't really so what's it what's it the yalitzia i mean she yeah, yeah. i mean it, i guess it just it opened my mind to like the true beauty of like everyday people who who are like that mm. you know what i mean yeah so like 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 my like my sister's example how she thought T- Takeshi Kaneshiro is hot you know yeah, yeah. like that guy's a really good looking guy but like if if things existed out there more that showed like regular people and what our value as human beings are aside from what we look like maybe hearts and minds can change I don't know yeah but yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, let, let's uh, thank you, Jeff. Um, let's wrap it up with some language corner. And uh, so though I'll start. I have one prepped already. Um, one thing, uh, something we talked about in the podcast was kind of like 
you know, maybe women that have blacklisted, you know, certain races of men for dating or something. So uh, this internet slang is called la hei. La hei is, uh, la means to pull and hei means black. So it's actually a short form for la dao hei ming dan. Uh, la dao hei ming dan means basically to pull onto a, uh, uh, put onto the blacklist. So then they shorten that to la hei, which means pull black, which means to blacklist somebody. So uh, la hei uh, is my language corner for today. And uh, I hope, and one thing I want to add is that Hopefully, uh, you don't blacklist the entire race. Give, 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 give a race a chance, you know, <laughs> for dating, and that goes for men and women. Yeah. Anyways, uh, Dan or Jeff or yeah. Jeff, do you want to go first? Um, I wasn't expecting this, so I the first thing that I thought of okay is something. <laughs> I, the first thing I thought of is something that I would not recommend anybody to live by, <laughs> but I'll just say it because. So this is this is an example of something that I grew up like this is. This is something my grandparents told me all the time. I don't know what the first part means. I know what the second part means. Um, but this was something I struggled with my whole life because I thought I was supposed to live this way. But I remember as a young kid, like two, three-year-old, when I would cry, my my grandparents would say in Mandarin, I hope I'm saying this right, but it's like, I know the second part is, men like shed blood not tears oh <laughs> which i'm sure dan you've never told your kids that no <laughs> but, um i don't know what the first part means that means uh like a gentleman or like uh, a good boy I okay guess. yeah a good man what does da zhang fu mean da zhang fu da zhang fu means like um uh older uh, like a grown-up man yeah so nan zihan like Nanzi Han's like kind of like a younger boy, I want to say. Yeah. And then Da Zhang Fu is like, so kind of like boys to men. <laughs> like okay. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so boys to men <laughs> shed blood, not tears. Oh. Um, which wow. it's, I, it's, it's something I've, I like tried to abide by when I was a kid, but I found a hard time doing it. So that's a whole nother podcast. Asian, <laughs> yeah. Asian masculinity. Yeah. That's, yeah. Uh, that's, yeah. I'm a big crier even to this day. So. Hey man. Hello, I, I cry too, man. Sure. All right, Dan. Dan. <laughs> uh, means what a waste. Mottainai. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, yeah, it's not relevant to this podcast, but mottainai is what a, it's wasteful. I, I guess it's I, if if I had to make a connection, I think it's wasteful maybe to um, overthink some things too much. I guess maybe yeah, maybe yeah. and being okay with. Um, yeah, yourself. Don't. Yeah, I guess don't waste time on things that doesn't matter to you. Cool. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, let's get. Let hopefully your your wife is not too angry. Game of Thrones is waiting. Uh, um, yeah, tell her so. Yeah, she's sorry. asking. She just texted me. Okay. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, we love Thanks, you guys. Jeff. All right. Yeah. Thank you think for having me. Think about therapy and take care. Bye. Bye. <laughs>